Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Every single week we talk about digital hospitality. Every business needs to be digital first and every business needs to be in the hospitality business. There's never been a time where the blending of these two worlds has ever been more transparent. Uh, we love what we do. We're a barbecue media company, single unit restaurant, recording today on February 18th, 2021. We are opening our first Friendly Ghost kitchen location today, the day of this recording. Um, and we've got a very special guest. Um, anybody that listens to this podcast, they, they want to be better. You want to be better if you are listening to this podcast. And we're grateful that you've been with us on the journey and that you listened to all the incredible people that we bring on the show. Um, today's guest was born in Bangladesh, moved to, to Kuwait seven years later, then he moved to Queens. He picked up English as a second language through Scorsese movies. Recently on LinkedIn, he posted, he has hit the Forbes 30 under 30 list. And this is what he wrote on LinkedIn. Life has been a trip. Broke, brown, busboy, dropout, troubled home, first time founder, English as a second language. These are my superpowers. I share these strengths with the restaurant industry, an industry that has taken me in as one of their own, an industry of outliers. Today's guest is Nabil Alamjir, the CEO of Lunchbox. Nabil, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. That was an amazing intro. I got chills. I was like, who is this person? Can you do that for me? Can I record that and just play that to myself during bad days, which is often? Uh, but thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Nabil, I, I, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I was fortunate to get invited by one of your teammates um, to participate in your summit. You do a quarterly summit, um, not only for your team, but for your investors, for your partners, for anybody that cares about what you're doing and you believe in transparency. Um, I really enjoyed that call. I love the fact that, you know, as a first time founder, somebody that's raising capital, but also trying to impact the industry in a way um, that makes us better. I mean, that really utilizes technology to its fullest capabilities to make us more profitable, more sustainable, um, give people better lives. As somebody that worked as a busboy and worked his way in multiple positions in restaurants, um, you're doing something that's so admirable, but you're also vulnerable. So thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your truth. I mean, that's what that LinkedIn post was about. Um, 30 for 30, it's an incredible to get accolades, but it's another thing, what do you do with those accolades? Um, so why, why did you write the post? You know, I wrote the post because uh, I think I the what I ended the post with was all the people responsible for it and my team, every member in Lunchbox. I shared this with them. I shared this with the restaurant industry because, you know, people always ask like, hey, why are you constantly out there talking about, you know, Grubhub and other companies and how the margins are so high? Why not just do your business and do really well and be silent about it? Uh, real gangsters uh, move in silence, right? Uh, and I'm from Queens, so I get said, I get told that one too many times. And my problem with that, when I'm, I hear that from clients, investors, and other members of the community, is I didn't, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying to figure it out. I wish more people share, and I wish I can be a representation to other members who are immigrants and other members who are restaurateurs who are trying to move into tech because you know why tech is food tech is so screwed up is you know a bunch of companies running it from SF and not you know operators operators who know how thin our margins are 
if operators, you know, if technologists knew how thin our margins were, the pricing wouldn't be so darn high, right? So I think um, I think the vulnerability and the transparency comes from a place of I've been given so much, I, I feel like I have to share and do this as publicly as possible uh, so we can collect as many people for the movement as possible. I'd love to to talk a little bit more about that because it, it is an interesting approach. Um, you know, for us, we we believe a rising tide lifts all ships. Uh, we're a barbecue brand on the West Coast. Um, we compete in Kansas City Barbecue Society contests. We organize those contests. We promote all barbecue. We don't believe in best or worst. So typically for us, we're not picking a villain. Picking a villain is something that is a bold move. Um, it's a bold move because you are gonna get the critics. Um, when you hear those critics, how do you lean into your truth? You know, um, the funny thing is when one of those critics sometimes will be investors. When your, your company is performing well, they can't really say much. When the company is not performing well, they will say a whole lot more. So we're getting away with a lot right now because we're a high growing company. Uh, and so that's how I address it with investors. With non-investors and others, this is what this is what I say, like, look at the project we've done. We, we did this project called notgrubhub.org, right? It's a website with 120,000 restaurants that you can order directly from. And it's not all powered by Lunchbox. Most of it is powered by our competitors who are just as good as us. There's no reason to just be on third party companies. You should have your own system and you should promote it, right? And when I get uh, pushback on that, I'm like, well, what are you guys talking about? Grubhub has fake website listing for restaurants. Grubhub, and this is on Vox.com. This is on Bloomberg. This is not, yeah. these are not small publications right. reporting on this. I was on the other side of this while I was an operator, which is Grubhub has fake phone numbers that you you can call on Google. It doesn't go to the restaurant. It goes to Grubhub and they make more money on it. You don't, so, have, to tell, you don't have to tell me. I, I've yeah. Yelp. You know, I know yeah. Yelp as a partnership. We're, we do a lot of work with Yelp, but I told them, you know, early on, we never signed up for Grubhub. Yeah. Why are they listed on our site? Yeah. So, so why don't you talk to these billion dollar companies and leave me alone? I am a small player who's trying to bring as much uh, voice and support to the movement where I'm trying to educate two very huge group of people. One are restaurateurs who need to know that they need to go ahead and be uh, independent from these third party companies, not fully, but in, in part. And I'm also trying to educate consumers who think buying on Uber Eats is buying local. Yeah. It's not, right? So we, I'm, I'm in the business of trying to educate as many people as I can. Uh, these larger companies have no reason to behave the way they have, but they still continue to do so. So, um, so I, the way I see it is this is our responsibility. Uh, I'm a restaurateur first. I'm a tech person second or a tech CEO second. And, you know, us restaurant people, you, you can't tell us much of what to do. We, <laughs> you know, we're, we're stubborn <laughs> folks. Yeah. We're, we're stubborn people and uh, we are uh, very hangry. I have a tattoo that says hangry right here. There you go. We're, we're, for those watching on YouTube, he's, he's showing us his, his hangry tat. Yeah, uh, we're, we're hangry and uh, we are here not just to uh, complain, but we're here with technology and engineers and 20 million in Series A capital and we're ready to deploy it to help the restaurant industry. So. I listened to the podcast as you did with uh, Rev Ciencio, who he we've had on the podcast, and you talked about this one point five million dollar check that you have framed. Can you tell us about it? Yes. So I, you know, I visualize. I, I visualize a whole lot. 
right? And but sorry for people on YouTube, I'm always in shorts. I open my. You you don't have to apologize to anybody on the West Coast. We're we're yeah we're in a special part. The rest of the the country is experiencing some serious uh, cold outages. Yeah. So uh, you know, I visualize very seriously. Can I share my screen for a quick second? Sure. You know, I, I, you know, before I'm even pitching to customers, I will make. I love, I love the fact that you're sharing. You're the first guest that has asked to share the screen, and on a digital hospitality podcast, I think it's very appropriate. So, so yeah. well, well, well played, Nabil. All right, my dogs are killing me. I'm so sorry. No, the dogs look great. They look great on YouTube. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is what happens when you have uh, new puppies. So I will go ahead and create a cover with the title, with the screens of the brand we want to sign. And I shared it with my team because I believe if you don't share your goals, how will my entire team know how to score, right? Yeah. So I have things like this. I have I so that. many things like this. And one of the things I had was- So you're, he, was, he's showing on his screen at uh, Nation's Restaurant News with Lunchbox, his company on the cover. And- uh, has, and that happened, has that happened yet? Yes. So everything we do, everything I visualize happens. Everything. In in fact, the one point five million dollar story. Wait. So is, so that so the what you shared on the screen was that the actual publication or was that your visualization of the publication? That's the visualization, and in three months it will happen because we're working really hard on it. Uh, in fact, uh, I uh, I had my team go out to North Carolina shoot uh, videos and footage with Bojangles and with our app and we've just sent it over to them. So uh, we're going to win that deal, right? And I will be very, very upset uh, if we don't uh, because um, we work really hard. We go above and beyond for every single thing we do. Uh, our logo, our design, our branding, our customer service, uh, our storytelling, everything really, really matters. And uh, when you practice so much, uh, you know how the game will play out. You rarely, um, shock. It's really a, a upset, if you will, right? So the $1.5 million story is the same thing. I wrote a $1.5 million check and I said, we will be raising our seed. And I put it in my wallet and I looked at it every day and uh, we raised $2 million the same month and uh, that I put in the date that we would raise. And I've never raised venture capital before. So uh, we received 72 rejections and eventually one yes. And uh, we ran with it. We, we, and we're very grateful for those investors. Tell, tell me about the fundraising, about, about the process. Where, where did you start? Tell, let's, let's let the listeners know what is Lunchbox. What's, so you, you pitch us. You were yeah. pitching, you've obviously gotten very good at the pitch, 72 yeah. no's and you got a yes. Yeah. Uh, you've taken it a long way. Give, give, give our listeners an idea of what Lunchbox is and what you guys do. All right, so you've ordered from your favorite food app. Forget Grubhub, Uber, DoorDash. Maybe your favorite food app that you order directly from. Maybe it's Domino's, maybe it's Sweetgreen, maybe Chipotle, one of those larger systems. Those cost millions of dollars to build. Uh, and usually five different companies come together to build that. And uh, my favorite company growing up was Sweetgreen, right? Uh, by the way, Sweetgreen CEO now is an investor in the company, right? Amazing. But uh, we looked at Sweetgreen and we said, can we build that? And when I, when I say we, I mean myself who was uh, at this time a restaurateur, 
So I'll go really quickly back, which is I, I started as a busboy at Bear Burger, which is a burger joint four blocks from where I am right now. And I stayed there for a decade and eventually became their CMO. And we opened 50 restaurants. And it was the time of my life. I was leading marketing, tech, and I was also leading, uh, uh, you know, all things branding, right? And uh, at this time, I looked at Sweet Green and I wanted to build that. $10 million, uh, different bunch of different companies. And I was just like, this has to be easier. We're getting killed by Grubhub right now. What year was this? this? Give me an this idea. Is two, this is exactly two years ago. This is our two year anniversary this month. Wow, wow amazing. So exactly two years ago. And we said, you know what? We're going to go ahead and start this company. So me, my couple of co-founders, we did. Customer number one was Bear Burger. And we went ahead and expanded this to several restaurants in New York. And for eight months, we pitched to 72 VCs and they said, no, no, no. And eventually they said, yes. What were we pitching, right? So what we're pitching at Bear Burger is if you, a restaurant group of any size, want to do direct delivery via app, web, catering, uh, pocket kiosk, uh, we can go ahead and help you do any of these things, best in class, super customized to what your needs are. Uh, especially if you have a strong brand, it will be even more amazing. And we can do it for $200 per restaurant per month, flat fee, right? That's what we want to do. We want to go ahead and create a SaaS company for you. So that was the mission for Lunchbox. Our mission was to give restaurants the power back and give them the data back and let them talk to their customers directly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I went through, um, I forgot the gentleman that, that went through the, the demonstration with me, but the, the system that you built is so robust, you know, and as somebody as a single unit operator, we're opening up multiple ghost concepts. We have one going live today. Um, the things that you can do, I, I mean, it, it's a playground. You built a digital playground for someone that has multiple units. What can you do for the independent? So for independent, by the end of the year, we'll be releasing a free version. We'll, we'll be launching an online ordering system that is completely free and that any operator can go and use. And we will not make money via uh, any fees except, my, look at my dogs. My dogs are absolutely <laughs> They want to be on the podcast. That's fine. You, you got three for one package. I apologize. That's uh, okay. But, uh, you know, uh, we want to launch that product for free because uh, there should be no question that independents need this and they should have it and it shouldn't cost a thing. We will, the way we'll make money on that one, because I, I do have to uh, make sure that it, that it is self-funded. We will charge a small monthly fee, let's say less than a hundred dollars for the marketing features to be turned on. But sure. everything you get right now from uh, any online ordering company out there, this will be that but hopefully five times better, that is going to be given to restaurateurs across the country for free. So that's what we're planning to do for independence. Right now, we still work with independence, uh, two locations, three locations. We do have clients that size and, um, and we try to go ahead and help them. The reason we are sticking to mid-market and enterprise and not independent right now is because we, we feel independents have a lot of options. And we did not want to start there. We wanted to start with mid-market uh, and enterprise. For us, mid-market and enterprise are anything above five location. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we wanted to start. We felt like there was less competition there. And we felt like that product stack is much harder. And we wanted to take, tackle that on because there's fewer competition out there. 
Give me, give me an idea of what you see for a product stack for an independent versus uh, a mid-level or enterprise client. Yeah, so independent, they don't want, they want to go live quickly. Enterprise will take three, six months to go live. And the reason for that is independent want, understand the most important thing about, about running a restaurant, get it up and then get it better, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, enterprise- Open customers, the doors. <laughs> Stop bleeding. Stop bleeding. Yeah. Stop the bleeding. Rent is due. Stop the bleeding. Let them in. Friends and family night. We're charging full price. Everyone. Correct. Uh, double the price. Double the price. Uh, you're lucky. I'm serving you food. You're my family. <laughs> Pay up. Uh, when it comes to uh, enterprise and mid market, they are much more focused on branding and designing, and they spend a lot of time with uh, with those components. Right. I'm not saying independents don't care about that but independents don't care enough about that because again, get it up, get it better later, right? Uh, another couple of differences we'll see between independent and enterprise are loyalty system. Independents have stronger following. They don't need to give stuff away for free. The larger you are, the more diluted your brand is and you need to give things away to go ahead and attract people. Uh, and the third thing would be operationally uh, on the back end, independents Usually it's a single person who's managing everything, all the tech. Uh, for fr- uh, larger concepts, you know, a GM has different rights than a district manager versus a, a, a um, fr- franchisor. So those, a lot of security uh, overrides that we have to go ahead and adjust for each of them. Can you exp- talk to me just about, you know, higher level, the tech technology and what's happened in the last, I know in the last 20 years, we, we always use June 29th, uh, 2007, the day the first iPhone came out as an anchor to how much has changed, how rapidly. Um, give us an idea of just the landscape of technology as you've grown before launching your company as CMO of Bareback, and then now to what you see now, how fast technology has changed. Um, I can, you know, I, I think about the last 12 months a whole lot, right? Postmates sold for 2.6 billion, Grubhub, uh, uh, connected with uh, Just Eats, DoorDash, uh, uh, went ahead and bought, uh, I believe, uh, Postmates. Uh, if you look at all the merger that's happening, right, uh, between and the, the big threes that have uh, all become billion dollar companies and all have become, all have taken someone in, Postmates, Caviar, Just Eats, and have merged. If you look at it, those are signs of a economy that's doing really well or an industry that's doing really well, right? Those are not signs of 100,000 restaurants closing. Those are signs of restaurants are, they must be crushing it right now, right? They must be making more money than ever. No wonder these three companies are merging and everyone is, you know, all of these companies were a billion dollar minimum, but that's not the case. A hundred thousand restaurants did close. Um, And, uh, and they are still they're profitable because a hundred thousand restaurants closed and dine in closed. They are happy that dine in closed and more customers are going and doing pickup and delivery via their systems. What we're asking is for that to be balanced out and fair, so restaurants can diversify their portfolio between dine in, pickup, delivery, and third party. We're not saying one of them should be eliminated. We're saying you need to just work on that flexibility. And that's what we have noticed in food tech, which is flexibility in you know, people going and starting ghost kitchens, such as yourself, which is 
you know, when Bear Burger used to open a restaurant in Chicago, we opened a restaurant, we spent a million dollars opening it, and we lost all of it when we had to close it down because sometimes restaurants close and you get it wrong. With today's world, you can test out a space without even, to see if people even care about your food, yep. right? Uh, to see if the neighborhood is uh, giving you some love, showing you some love. That is very startup-y. Uh, tours were left so far behind in terms of experimenting and A-B testing and being digital yep. that the only way they operated was let's sign a 10-year lease. So I love the flexibility that the restaurant uh, industry has. I love that it's not all going to cost so much money. I love that they can go from fast casual to maybe we'll go switch to sit down. So I think the the flexibility that our space has experienced is one I'm very grateful for. So on on the call, the quarterly call, the summit that you did, um, what's the, what's the reasoning behind being so inclusive and so transparent? Um, you know. Because I, I know I know that there's pushback. I don't even know that, but I'm just going to assume that people have told you, Nabil, you can't do that or you can't disclose this. The bigger your company gets, the more disclosure, the more the less media that you can do, or at least it's structured media because you don't want to be giving out the secrets, the playbook. The, you know, the playbook is to absolutely crush it. If you crush it, whatever you're sharing, by the time you're sharing it, it's not that relevant. It's already happened. So that's what I tell them so I can like, you know, that's my, those are the lies I spread. So, uh, but you know, my thought process is, you know, we have to operate in transparency. Every restaurant is talking to a online ordering company and they're asking questions from scratch. Hey, do you integrate with my POS? Do you have loyalty? And every restaurateur is also sourcing food and they're asking the same questions, but we're all operating in secrecy. We all have our own rates and own prices. And we're all like, all right, let's be as secretive as possible because I love thy neighbor, but I don't want them to do better than me. There's only one person who's hungry for lunch in a single day that is either eating at my restaurant or my competitors. And while I get that competitiveness, we also have to understand that we fight on Grubhub and we give 30% away while we fight with our neighbors why not create a, uh, a playing field where we're, tra- we're sharing as much information as possible. We are converting and changing consumer sentiment towards ordering directly from restaurants. We are also helping restaurants understand that we are operating in transparency and we always will. So if we get it wrong, we'll also tell you we're getting it wrong and you can trust us. And the reason we're trying to do all of these are because you know, I'm a, I've worked with so many tech partners while I was a restaurateur. Uh, they didn't do any of these things and I'm upset they didn't. And I would like to be a better company until, uh, as long as I can, or until the suits come and get me. <laughs> I don't think the suits are gonna come and get you. I think you're, you're, you're building too fast. Uh, one of the things I do appreciate is when you were the restaurant owner and you were you know, in the CML level and you were working these relationships, talk about the things that you experienced and the things specifically that you wanted to change in that, in that vendor partner relationship. Number one was vendor. I hate that word. It's, you know, terrib- I, it's a terrible word. I it's agree. It's a terrible word. I, I get upset it's when- transa- It's a transactional word. Yeah, our customers call us vendor and I get upset. upset. I'm like, uh, I'm I'm sorry, what'd you say? What did you say? Did you call me? Yeah, did you say the V word? Because our pricing says else, something else. 
Our pricing says I'm your homie. I'm your yeah. best friend. <laughs> you know, our pricing says you and I are related. Yes. You know, yeah. this is so friends. I, this is a friends and family deal. <laughs> yeah. When I said this was a friends and family deal, you thought it was a sales tactic. I meant it. Yes. Correct. Uh, so the V word is forbidden in our company. Uh, now, that's one. Number two is pricing. Our pricing is a monthly SaaS fee. Right. Uh, we sometimes will have a dev cost depending on the project, uh, but we will waive it if you start paying monthly immediately. Mm-hmm. That's it. There's no there's no other agenda. PS monthly SAS fee, not a long contract. If you hate no per transaction fee, no percentage fees. If you hate us, let us know. We don't want you to be upset. We will make it right or we will end it. We don't want to trap you with a three year contract. Yep. That was something else I wanted to change. And number three is we don't want to just give you a support person and a success person, someone who does ticketing and someone who talks to you once a month, usually yep. talks to you a little bit more at the beginning and end of contracts. Correct. We have three other people, a designer for everyone, a marketer dedicated to everyone, and a solutions manager dedicated to everyone. And you saw that in our summit, yep. everyone gets six different people dedicated to them and none of them are salespeople, right? Uh, after sales is passed on, you get six members dedicated to you. So it's a true partnership because when something works with a client, we're sharing that with everyone with permission. We're sharing that with everyone. Like, hey, everyone needs to have upsell on. And I'll call CEOs of restaurants. Why isn't upsell turned on right now? That can increase your sales by 15%. What are you doing? So those are the things uh, we think will make uh, that we did not love while we were operators and we wanted to change. Transparency, pricing, and the way we go about helping our customers, which is more than just uh, see you later, here's our customer support person. I think that's, I mean, that's incredible because as you said, you aren't a vendor, you become not only a partner, but you become part of this ecosystem, this ecosystem to make us better. But the better that we become, the more willing we are to share what's working with your products and what's not working. And that's one of the things I tell independent restaurant owners all the time is, you know, you can't look at it as a vendor relationship. You have to understand that the problems that you're having, that your general managers having, your floor managers, your servers, your hosts, whatever issues they're having with that tech, guess what? It's probably happening in another restaurant. And if you don't give them that feedback, how are they supposed to fix it? Instead of coming in every single shift and complaining about the same thing, literally, there's probably engineers that just have never known. They've never been boots never to touch the thing to go, yeah. this is stupid. Why are we doing it this way? If an engineer knew something they built did not work, they would be very sad. Yes, you're absolutely right. Because that's the nature of an engineer. Yep. They are the weirdest people in the world. All they want to do is work really, really hard and solve really, really complex problems. Yes. They, they're not like other artists and other roles I've met. They just want to fix broken things and they just want to go ahead and build things. Those are the only two things they want to do. And they want to do that at the highest level possible. Problem is the, the chain of command has not gone to them or there's enough layers in between that I've diluted the feedback to delete or to absolutely nothing. What are you doing to break down that barrier outside of the transparency that you lead the company with? You know, we have a monthly meeting as well with all our clients where they just come and just destroy us and yeah. everything that works doesn't work in a group setting. Not in, the, we talk individually with each of our customers as well. Monthly, we have a joint conference with all our clients. This one is private and it's clients only. 
so they can really go ahead and uh, roll their sleeves up and just give us feedback, right? We also have a, a voting system that you saw in the summit where you can add feedback and you can upvote feedback. So we just saw a new vote, a new item that is now trending on top of our uh, a voting list uh, and the customers can see it's on top. So if they see that we don't address it, they're going to come after us. So hey, you told me to give you feedback. I have, this is ranking number one. What are you doing about it, right? So uh, we hold ourselves accountable, not because we uh, want our customers to be happy and not leave, but we need the feedback. Those engineers need to know what to fix. Like we need, I, I want to build a great company and I want to get feedback from our customers to our engineers as, as quickly and as easily as possible. Uh, and there's no better way to do it than get everyone in a room and you know, swallow, uh, eat the frog and just go ahead and deal with it. That's great. What, what's, the, uh, what's the most difficult lesson you've learned as being a tech founder? You might be good for a role today, but in three months, if the company is growing, you're no longer good for that role. And this, or you might be, but you might not be as well. And to have that expectation very clear for everyone is make that expectation super clear for everyone is a challenge. Uh, and it's also, uh, it's tough because you, you, you know these people and you like them and you love them and you want them to be happy. But if the company grows quickly, we all move around. My job changes every three months as well doesn't change completely, but there's things I wanted to do. I'm not allowed to do anymore because I'm not the best at it. And we just all have to understand and enjoy it because the flip side of that is a company did not grow well and we're continuing to bang our head against the wall and nothing has changed. Was there any, any particular time or story that you have of when that, Oh shit moment, I'm getting in my own way. I get in my own way every day. (laughs) <laughs> so do I. <laughs> uh, I. So I have a lot of those stories. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't, I am not available for uh, product launches and client launches. When there's a client launch and a product launch, I'm not a lot. I, I ban myself from the general vicinity of being on Slack and being with my team and being on site. Uh, that's not a good day to give feedback. Yeah. Uh, that's not a day to give any feedback. Uh, that's uh, friends and family. That's not friends and family night. That's opening night. Everything was supposed to break. That's why we're here. It's fine. Customers are forgiving as long as you set expectation, get out of their way. Your team doesn't need feedback that night. It's really demotivating. Uh, that's You can do it two days later. Uh, that's something I've done to uh, keep my make my team's life easier and better. Uh, so when there's product launches, I'm not on site. When was, is, when was the first product launch that you weren't on site? Or which was the last one that you were on site where you made that decision to no longer go? A year ago. A year ago, it's like one of our biggest customers, clean juice, 100 units, North Carolina. I'm not even flying out there. And I'm not, I'm like, that's like a complete 180 for me. And it's completely against everything in your blood type to not be there because you want to be there and you want to be supportive and you feel like not being there makes you not supportive. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can see how it seems, but everyone's happier. <laughs> Especially <laughs> your team. <laughs> happier. And uh, I've worked, just to give you an example, I've worked on our logo for two years. And I finally, on our two year anniversary, I finally come up with it. 
right? Uh, I'll show you what it looks like. Uh, I know, I know the podcast people can't see it, but this is our uh, logo. I love it. Two years. It, it's a, it's a stupid square. It's a stupid square. <laughs> it's a two year square. It's a two year. Yeah. It took, it's a two year square with an L and a B for lunchbox. It took two years. So, uh, your strengths are your weaknesses and knowing when to take a step back is important. And, uh, launch and opening days. I'm not, I'm nowhere around. That's amazing. Um, filled with other meetings and I'm just business as usual. Well, that's something that I'm trying to learn myself. I went down today for two hours. I think I was there, um, but I let my general manager and my consultant Howard and let my team be my team. If we're going to actually grow to 10, 10 units in San Diego, I can't be there boots on the ground like I used to be um, in the trenches. And I think that's something that's always hard. It's always hard to do, um, but it's also ultimately the only way you grow, right? Yeah, absolutely. Has there been any uh, mentor? I mean, obviously, probably a lot of mentors, but anybody that comes top of mind was something that they that they taught you that's made a big impact on your on what you're doing. I have so many. I'm I'm all about having a you know people advising me. I've had it from you know when I was a from the Bear Brigade days. My first mentor were all my teachers in high school. My first professional one was the CEO of Bear Burger, uh, where I where I joined as a busboy. I was I got an internship at Apple. And I got a job at Buzzboy, and I love the restaurant industry so much. I left Apple, which was my dream company, right? Yeah. Like, you know, to be a part of. That's how much I loved working for him and working for this industry. Um, I, I I think the what lessons have I learned from him? Uh, I learned so many lessons from so many people. I'll, I'll talk about one uh, one recent one. Uh, I was talking to Jonathan Neiman, CEO of Sweet Green. Uh, was an investor in the company, and I asked him for some advice about the the pressure of you know running a company and the pressure of you know it's a lonely job, right? Every job is hard, but being a CEO of any company, small, large, medium, it's a lonely job because you have to project the perfect amount of confidence and vulnerability, and there's a very tiny, tiny part in between where it's the perfect amount that you need to show, and you will never ever get it right. Yeah, but you have to try to do it every day, right? Uh, and and I asked him, like, you know, how do you deal with the pressure? And he said, you know, like he gave a wonderful response, which is he's gamified this, which is he looks at this as a game. He removes himself from this conversation, the one you and I are having. He will leave one of our bodies, let's say his knee, and he will look at this conversation from a external point of view without the emotions, uh, not in a more callous format, but in a one where he can observe what is happening. And uh, I thought that was, again, something I know, but you know, when you hear it from someone you respect, you now you really, really know it, you know? And he said, he made it even simpler, which was like, if there was a plank, there was a plank on the floor that is two feet wide, and let's say 20 feet uh, in length, that I could, if I'm supposed to run on it, he said, if I was supposed to run it, I would perfectly run on it. But if he elevated that to, let's say, you know, up, you know right, Next to your background, let's say 100 floors up in the sky, uh, would I be still able to do it? Most likely not, right? So uh, to remove the fear and to go ahead and gamify it and to go ahead and understand that this is just part of the process, the good days, the bad days, is something uh, he's, he's been able to do. So I thought that was a very awesome advice uh, that he was able to share with me. 
I think that's great. Trying to play the game within the game um, and trying to understand. I mean, my, my mentor is David Meltzer, one of my many mentors, uh, but he talks about when you're, when you're pitching going above the pitch, you know, it's one thing to be engaged in the pitch. It's another thing to, like you said, remove yourself from the pitch and connect on a deeper level with the people that you're pitching. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. So what, what are, uh, you had the $1.5 million check in your wallet framed now is it now framed it's framed now yeah okay so it's framed now what what's what's the next 1.5 million dollar what what's the next thing for lunchbox that's framed that's visualized let me pull up let me pull up what i have i have a bunch always um is the building behind you what building is that chrysler no the one on your left side uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Lunchbox. <laughs> He's showing me a photo of the lunchbox on that. That's right. On the building behind you. Yeah, that's right. How creepy is that? That's insane. So that's, I, I would like, like for What's that the building. building? I, I'm not sure, but I like how it looks and I would like that to be. I like how lunchbox looks on that building. Yeah. So that's going to be our office building in a couple of years. So we're doing the podcast and literally you had no idea that my background is Manhattan and on his phone is lunchbox. That is incredible. The same picture over Sean's shoulder of the building. I think it's called the line. I think that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. But either way, that same photo is on my phone with the lunchbox logo because I'd like to go ahead and take that top couple of floors as our office. Uh, so when you do take those top couple of floors, I'm going to bring Rising Tides Creative, my media team, and we're going to come and do this one more time, but we're going to get a tour of the, the headquarters. Is that a deal? This is documented forever. So let's do it. It's documented forever. So do you have any uh, parting words of wisdom for people listening to this podcast? What, first of all, what does digital hospitality mean to you? Digital hospitality. What does that mean to me? Uh, I think there are storefronts that we have cared so much about the, the banner, the color, the door, what is the, the heater on top for winter, uh, you know, the digital storefront of how it looks. We care about it so much. Is it on the corner? Is it the right real estate? We care about it so much. We need to go ahead and care about the virtual uh, storefront as well, because uh, if we don't, we will die and we're dying right now and not to make it morbid, but uh, we shouldn't let this happen to us again. Uh, what is happening to us right now is the fact that we did not uh, go ahead and fortify both those storefronts, and we need to. Uh, if, uh, if you're spending, I don't know, $20,000 on AC system or $80,000 on AC system, whatever you're spending, which is a lot of money, please spend some money on a digital storefront as well. Uh, paid media is a real thing online ordering tools and loyalty tools are a real thing. Uh, you have to participate because uh, by the time you figure out that it's a necessity, it will become old story and so will your your uh, digital storefront. So if Chipotle in the middle of a pandemic is expanding to Ghost Kitchen, we don't have to do too much math. Let's just do the same, right? Uh, and that's my, that's my take on uh, digital hospitality. Nabil? You are a rock star. I can't wait for you to take over that that building behind me. 
Um, that that is just absolutely incredible. Um, talk about visualization. When did you when did you start visualizing? Was there somebody that taught you that, or was there something? Did you did you see it in a Scorsese movie? No, I did not see it in a Scorsese movie. But um, I um, I was at some point a designer, right? Uh, between being a busboy and CMO, I was designing a lot of the stuff at Bear Burger, uh, and. Um, most of the branding for our company was designed by me and my creative director. No external agency or external team. And uh, I'm just a visual thinker, visual person, and uh, um, lean into what you're good at, right? Why do anything else but be yourself? So that's what I'm trying to do, lean into my strengths. And visualizing helps me understand what are the steps missing in between. So uh, it's more for share because I feel like come you know CEOs will often have something in their head and they'll not share it with their entire team. And I think that's just so wrong because if we all know where the goalpost is, we're gonna all score. But if I'm the only one who knows it, you know, and I if I guess God forbid I'm not scoring, I'm mad at all everyone on my team for not giving me the assist I need. And that's why we try to be transparent with our goals as well, even the short term ones. Perfect. Well, Nabil, you're incredible. I'm honored that I got to do this. Um, even more excited that you, that building was behind me. Um, super cool, man. Um, I love what you guys are doing. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty damn sure that we're going to work together. I'm not sure how, but um, I, know that, I know that will happen. Um, thanks again, you guys, for listening to the podcast. Uh, please check out Lunchbox. Um, their company is incredible. Follow them on social. We'll put links in the show notes and um, Ian's article and Stover will get it all dialed in. Um, Nabil, thank you, man. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Sean.